Are you listening to Discovery Debrief? And uh, so did I. It's Jason Isaacs, who was, at some point, some version of Captain Lorca. Right now, I'm just a fan. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, Lower Decks, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined, as usual, by our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow, Hey! Zaki Hassan. And Gage. <laughs> and Cicero Holmes. I'm down with JLP. Yeah, you know me. <laughs> that was good. That was, that was good, especially considering. Uh, so Cicero has unfortunately come down with the phage recently. Yeah. Uh, but he is uh, he's soldiering on with us, thankfully, because the show would not be what it is without you, my friend. So thank oh, you thank for you. for for pushing through the the existential pain of what you're going through. At the I, I I need to continue uh, contact with humans. Uh, it keeps me grounded. <laughs> of course. Yeah. That's what I have to tell myself when I get out of bed every morning. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so before we actually fully get underway, I just wanted to thank some listeners who've reached out since the show's return to express that they're glad that we're back at it. We've gotten a few very nice compliments and comments on Twitter and Facebook from people. And it's always nice to hear that people enjoy what we do. So thanks for returning with us. It's good to be back. But first, uh, Let's catch up with our panel since uh, since last time we all got together. So Cicero, let's actually start with you because in you you've been talking with us in the group chat that we maintain about how uh, an ancillary benefit of being a little bit laid up recently is the fact that you've gotten to absorb a lot of Star Trek. Tell us about that. Lots of Trek, all of the Trek. So, uh, yeah. So as a result of, of being, uh, laid in, in beds and, and forced to just look at screens while you sweat and, and chill your, your days away, um, is giving me an opportunity to continue my broadcast, uh, reverse broadcast order rewatch of Star Trek uh, series. I have been on Star Trek Deep Space Nine last week. Uh, when we when we got together, um, I told you guys I was halfway through or almost through with season five. I just finished uh, season six, episode nineteen in the pale moonlight. Whoa. Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I have watched uh, lots and lots and lots of Trek. Yeah, well, you are in. Uh in quite the the hot period in DS9 too as the war is heating up um what's what's striking you about this point in time for DS9 <coughs> oh excuse me i was trying to keep the coughs off the uh, off the cast but <laughs> i could not <coughs> excuse me the um the great thing is uh just how, how um 
how much drama they've been able to add, uh, how much weight they've been able to add to an already very, very weighty series. Um, the writing has been great. The acting, the performances have been phenomenal. Uh, and, and uh, DS9 is really, it has hit its stride. It has cemented itself as the trek to beat on television. Uh, just, just season six, chef's kiss, man. Oh man, it's so good. <laughs> Yeah, no, no argument here. Well, I'm glad that you're uh, you're full speed ahead on DS9, and we'll have to uh, to reconvene, you know, next time to see where you're at. But, but um, yeah, man, you're you're still in in store for some pretty awesome stuff. That's for yeah. sure. All right, Zachy, my friend, how have you been doing since we last got together? Uh, just keeping my head above water, you know, Cisco, uh, uh, Cisco, Cicero is watching Cisco for the both of us. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, something that you said recently on, uh, on Twitter, I think it was after, I'm not sure if it was after you watched the second or the third episode of Picard. Uh, you're just happy to be in the 24th century again. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about that? Well, it's, you know, I mean, we've ever since uh, Nemesis, we have definitely had plenty of Star Trek content uh, on screen, right? So that, so, you know, when Discovery started, it was nice to be like, oh, here's episodic Trek again. It's just nice to be back in this rhythm. And then Picard, you know, three episodes in, that was a realization I had. I was like, man, I just, I like being in the 24th century again. And granted in the show, we're probably, they're probably going to shift over to the 25th at some point. But, you know, the, the idea of the ball having been carried forward and uh, acknowledging, you know, the, 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 the value of continuity, you know, the idea of mm-hmm. that, that, uh, you know, for many next generation fans, that's something special that's really been lacking for a very long time. Just that, just, Hey, let's see where the, what things are like in the 24th century now, you know, and that's, it's a nice feeling. It, it, it feels like a, like a comfortable boot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I t- totally understand that. Well, thank you for sharing that perspective. Yeah. Rachel, what have you been up to in the last several days? Uh, we saw Birds of Prey. We did. Uh, we were a little, oh, what you think? little bit lonely in that movie theater. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it was really good. It's like, go see it. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> okay. Don't, don't I mean, let the incels win. Yeah. Right. Yeah, clearly. I mean, I don't pay attention to that, but yeah. Well, but but you you are affected by the you often are saddened by the tenor of the conversation that is out there in fact. Well, I will say the few people who were in the movie theater with us have all appeared to be teenage boys. Yeah. yeah and they seemed like they had a good time. It, it, so it did. I mean, <laughs> the 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 walking into the theater last night I was reminded in no uncertain terms, and I told Rachel this, of the time that we went to see Dread. Because, um, mm. so I, I remember we were really chomping at the bit to get to the theater, and I was like, no, we're, we're not going to get a good seat. Come on, let's hurry, let's hurry up. We're going get, to get into <laughs> Dread. And uh, we, I, I run into the theater ahead of her and look out, and there's maybe five other people in it. <laughs> and I was just like, whoa. This this ain't good. Uh, I mean, well, this can't be widespread. This is just this one theater in the Northwest, and like, no, it was pretty widespread, unfortunately. And I, I still do love Dread, but um, 
You said it doesn't look like it's tracking as badly as Dread did. No, I mean, Dread w- made like under $10 million its opening weekend or yeah, something like right. that. Uh, this is like a th- looking to be 30, 30 33, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which is, you know, definitely not as bad as mm-hmm. Dread. Um, but not what the studio was looking for as far as I understand. Yeah. I mean, Um, the, the, the reviews continue to say, you know, DC's getting on the right track and it's like, that's what they also said after Shazam. And that's what they also said after Aquaman. And that's what they also said after wonder woman. And it's like, how, what, 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 when is it going to be on the right track? Like how, when is it going to be good enough? Is it just that, Batman and Superman's presence in a good movie will actually put DC on the right track again. I don't know, but Birds of Prey was very solid. Well, the thing that I loved about it was just all the Gotham geography. You know, we got to see the East End. We got to see Amusement Mile in a movie finally. And uh, and uh, Founders Island was referred to. And it's just like a lot of we got to see a lot of Gotham as a Batman fan. I appreciate that. But yeah, I, I I think I think part of the issue with uh, with Birds of Prey is that there has been marketing for that film, but it's just really, at least from my perspective, and I think I think my perspective is somewhat indicative of of what's out there is that it's just kind of been noise. Hmm. Um, there there hasn't been anything out there. Um, from from a layperson. Now I'm a comic book fan. I'm a comic book movie fan, uh, but I'm not a huge DC fan. But I have gone to see all of the DC movies. Mm-hmm. I will eventually go see this movie. Um, but there was nothing there that made me say, "Oh man, I have to go see this movie opening night." Um, the, in fact, there hasn't been anything in the marketing that made me feel like this movie is going to be good. Uh, and, and to the point when I read the reviews, when the review said, no, not only is it better than okay, it's actually good. Go see it. I was shocked. Mm-hmm. I was still going to go see the film, but I, I just thought, uh, you know, I'm going to go see the film because I go see all of these films. Um, but I didn't expect it to be, you know, good. I didn't expect to enjoy myself. Well, uh, but now I'm going, going in expecting to enjoy myself. Yeah. And that's, that, um, that's, that's a good, uh, it's, it's an understandable perspective to have too. Um, Zachy, I will, I'm not sure how much of the ongoing you read, like in the Dixon and Simone days, how much of it were you reading? I, I, I dipped in and out. I wouldn't say I was a regular by any stretch. Okay. Yeah. And, and me neither. Um, but you, you enjoyed the movie as well, right? Yeah, I did. You know, I, I, what I said, uh, online is that, it's obviously they should call it Harley Quinn. Like I wonder, to be honest, if the movie had been called Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey, it might have done better, you know. Um, but mm-hmm. but I I not really caring about the box office side. I like how they used her, a pretty well known and liked commodity at this point, as a way to build a bridge to all these other DC characters that are now in play. You know, I think uh, by the end of the film, you know, we've got a Huntress who's like the Huntress in the comics. We've got Black Canary and I'm like, that's awesome. You know, like now uh, you've got a whole new audience of, of girls and boys too, who may not know these characters, but now they're part of their headspace. And I always think that's cool. 
Yeah. I mean, um, honestly, my favorite bird has always been the Huntress. So she was the one who I had my eyes on the most going into this and I was not disappointed. Yeah. Um, you know, especially considering the last time we saw her adapted was in a TV show almost 20 years ago. That wasn't, <laughs> it was, it was interesting. And they kind of tried to invoke some earth Two stuff to, as far as like her lineage was concerned, but the Helena or Helena Bertinelli of, uh, of the modern age is a character that I found a lot of attachment to. And I was very happy to see how they use it. And I totally agree with you. Harley Quinn is a very visibly popular character. She's never been my personal favorite, but that's irrelevant right. because she is universally popular, it seems. And using her as that bridge, as you describe, to this other segment of the DCU is really cool. And man, Ewan McGregor was chewing the scenery and I was enjoying every second of that. Uh, yeah, he, uh, I, he felt to me like... Uh, a flamboyant guest star on the '60s Batman show. You know, it reminded me of like when Liberace shows up as a Batman villain. That's what that's, that's what Ewan McGregor. He was like, uh, you know, profane Liberace. Yeah, yeah, very true. <laughs> well, either way, uh, recommendation absolutely stands. Go see Birds of Prey, Cicero. Tell us what you think after you get a chance to see it. Okay. And um, once, uh, once I'm no longer contagious. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I will, I will venture out into the world with, uh, with, with other humans. Sure, yeah. Humans. But, Rachel, one last thing, uh, and dovetailing back into Trek, today you read the Star Trek Picard Countdown comic book series. Oh, yeah. And uh, in pretty so quick succession, all three issues. So yeah. what was your take on that? Uh, it was a good story and made some stuff in the show, gave some good context and helps make a little bit more sense some stuff that that maybe like um to do with uh his his vineyard friends uh mm-hmm. Shaban oh, okay. and Larice L- Laris yeah <laughs> Laris and Jaban yeah yeah Laris and Jaban mm-hmm. yeah so maybe why they're so good at all the stuff that they're good at mm-hmm. um so a little bit of Raffi in there too yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, so recommend it. You know, it's only three issues, and all three of them are out now. So it's uh, quick read. Yeah, yeah, I think you can, you know, absorb it digitally or physically, however you prefer to absorb your comics. So it's self-contained three yes. issues. Mm-hmm. It? Yep, yep, and it's uh, it's right in the middle of uh, the admiral trying to figure out exactly what the best method is going to be for evacuating the Romulans. It doesn't make any mention of a synth uprising. That's That doesn't touch the events of the story, but it's kind of a nice little side tale that reinforces some of these relationships that we're seeing on the show. So, And here's, here's actually a, a, a quick question. Are the Is the art for the characters reminiscent of the the artists that are playing them in the show. Yeah, yeah I think so. The, okay. the, um, the team, I think it's David and Scott Tipton that have been doing the art on a lot of IDW Star Trek series over the last several years. They, they have their own style, but they're pretty good at capturing likenesses, I think. So it's, it's pretty clear who everybody's supposed to be. Yeah, most definitely. Well, uh, let's move along into our d- episode discussion for Star Trek Picard, episode three The end is the beginning. (laughs) 
So a flashback reveals how, in the aftermath of the synth attack on Mars, Admiral Picard demanded that Starfleet either agree to his evacuation plan or accept his resignation, and they chose the latter. His aide, Rafi Musikin, who suspected Romulan involvement in the attack, ended up being fired after Admiral Picard submitted his resignation. Uh, and that's a very brief kind of quick and dirty summation of the of the flashback. But we kind of get to see uh, well, the twilight of, of the Admiral's Starfleet career in this in this flashback. And I think this gives some pivotal information about the relationship between Picard and Raffi. So what do you guys think of, of just the flashback in general, what we see in it and of the dynamic that this establishes between those characters? Zach, you start us off. You know. The thought I had is, you know, we're we're seeing this momentous event in Star Trek history. This is the end of Jean-Luc Picard's Starfleet career, you know, and and that's important. And then you realize, like, is this the ending that any one of us could ever have imagined awaited Picard when we were watching the series when it first aired, you know? Mm. And so there's something, it, it's this, I, I love the, the emotional push and pull of seeing the weight of this moment and yet the, the, the sadness of the way the moment happens. And you're like, wow, this is, this is this window into Star Trek canon that didn't exist before, but now we have it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. What was your, um, your first impression of Rafi based on this scene, since we only saw just a few seconds of her at the end of the last episode? So I I have not read any of the 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 expanded universe stuff so uh I I don't know the specifics of their relationship but the I mean obviously the fact that she calls him JL which no one does <laughs> right that's that's kind of interesting that that implies a level of of uh, uh intimacy not not romantic necessarily but you know emotional intimacy sure that that none of the Star Trek characters up to this point that we've seen interact with them have ever had. Mm-hmm. You know, Beverly doesn't call him JL, right? Yeah. And she's yeah. about as close to him as anyone we've ever seen. So that I feel like, you know, that's a relationship that we're obviously that's where she's at when we first meet him. And then we, when we, when we first meet her via this flashback and obviously we know that they've got the, the, the rift between them. So, you know, narrative wise we know that that rift is going to be bridged over the course of this season and so mm-hmm. it's it's kind of, one assumes that we're going to end up at a place closer to where we first see them or where where we see you know when where we first see them chronologically yeah right no and i think that that's a good point though in establishing that she seems to occupy kind of a unique place at least among his other acquaintances uh, because she refers to him in, in in kind of a cavalier way. The thing that it made me think of was actually a deleted scene I was from Star of that Trek. Exact Nemesis. thing. I was thinking of that exact thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, when uh, when C- Commander Martin Madden comes aboard the Enterprise as 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 Riker's relief, since Riker's going off to command the Titan, and uh, Riker plays a joke on him, saying, "Hey, you know, he he likes to be." keep things a little casual on the bridge and call him Jean-Luc every once in a while. And then when Madden actually tries it, he gets a stare of death from Picard that <laughs> makes it abundantly clear that Riker was pulling his leg. So the fact that, that uh, Rafi can call him that is, is it's definitely interesting. Rachel, what did you think of this opening shot for this episode? Uh, just everything that we see in the dynamic between them and of Rafi. Uh, I thought 
Rafi was really cool and um, very passionate. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it's just kind of sad. I, it, you, you really get how she could get so angry at him. Mm-hmm. Um, like she seems like a very like emotional person who's like really into her work. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I felt like it was really sad and like really familiar, right? Like it's just familiar. Yeah, because it's like I, I definitely see that with like older politicians ah, now, where it's, yeah. it's just like they just sort of like are like, I guess I'm done because <laughs> uh, the you know the current way that the uh, political climate is is just too extreme for them, or has taken this crazy turn, mm-hmm. and it's just like I guess my you know my time's not here. Sure. And so they just sort of quit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No. I mean, I don't want to, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to say that Jean-Luc Picard is like some of the um, people with not so much backbone in the Republican Party who I feel like <laughs> quit rather than stand up to their party. But mm-hmm. um, I definitely get that kind of like vibe of uh, sort of passing from a uh, more enlightened age into a more age of extremes. Mm-hmm. Um, I relate. Sure. Insularity. <laughs> no, that's, that's a, a good way of putting it. Cicero, what did you make of this, uh, this opening salvo here in this episode? Well, I, I learned a lot. Um, the first thing that I learned that maybe I should have learned before was that um, one of the reasons that uh, the, the massacre on Mars was so detrimental was because the shipyard was building ships for the rescue of the Romulans explicitly. Like that's what those ships were, were going to be used to do. And that was, I guess maybe it had been explained before. Um, but I like that. This is when I picked up on it. Um, so, uh, so I was like, Oh, okay. That's, that's a thing. That's important they were destroyed that was uh you know and th- that definitely puts a damper on things so i can understand from the from the position of starfleet uh why it you know why they would they would be so reticent i guess is is a good word um to to commit to other other ships or what have you or or to helping the romulans um the other thing is that that first moment um, taught me a lot about Rafi, taught me a lot about Jean-Luc uh, or JL. Uh, and uh, it also taught me a lot about um, uh, let's see. It also taught me a lot about the, the just the fact that Starfleet is a uh, is a corporation. So, like, um, you know, the, the and and really, what happened was that John Luke was the guy who who made the big innovations in the corporation that helped the corporation move to the next level of the stratosphere. But, you know, now they're there and they don't need them anymore. 
So when he made that ultimatum, they decided, oh, you know what? Uh, that's all right. We don't need you. And we'll go ahead and we'll do whatever it is that uh, that we need to do without you. Um, and that was, you know, that was kind of terrible. But, the, the you know, the thing that that I was able to glean from this conversation with with Rafi at the beginning was that Rafi, uh, and, and you know, and we learned this obviously, but she hitched her wagon to to Jean Luc, um, and um, you know, she hitched it professionally, but she also hitched it emotionally. That she was someone with a lot of demons. She was someone who was very very talented. She was very very passionate. Um, there were there were a lot of things that she had going for her, but one of the things that she also had that came with that was this baggage of these demons, of these things that kept continue to haunt her. And being with Jean-Luc put those, you know, kept those demons at bay. And um the 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 you know w- what happened as a result of him resigning his post, the reason she got upset was because she knew she was going to be fired. She knew that she was going to lose her purpose. And as a result of losing her purpose, there was nothing to keep those demons from, from coming back to the fore yet again. And she, she was able to foresee everything that we saw that happened to her in, in the 14 years, uh, since that day and the next time that they got to see each other chronologically, which happened to be the episode before. All right, well, let's uh, let's move along with the plot. So in the present day, Picard goes to Rafi's modest home in the Vasquez Rocks. It's actually the Vasquez Rocks this time. It's not playing another location in the Star Trek universe, which I thought was, was funny. Uh, so Picard asks Rafi for help. She entertains a brief conversation with him, scolding him for going straight to Starfleet's commander-in-chief and telling her exactly what he plans to do. But ultimately, she throws him out. But she does, however, end up recommending a pilot for his mission, Cristobal Rios, the first time that we get Captain Rios's mention. So, uh, Zaki, what did you make of this this conversation? And, and particularly when taken in concert with the first scene that took place in the past, did you feel like the disdain that she had for Picard was earned in this moment? What, what was running through your head in this interaction? You know, the, the where she was mocking his, or I don't know if mocking is the right word, but she was speaking derisively of his home, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the, in the, in the interview. And that struck me odd, not merely because it felt like a weird thing to hold against him that that's his family home, right? Yeah. Uh, but also because that doesn't seem like a very 24th century place to be you know what i mean like poverty doesn't exist in the 24th century so the idea of being jealous because someone has a nice house just it doesn't it feels incongruous given what we know but then again Mm. vaping i didn't think vaping would still be around (laughs) (laughs) or cigars apparently as we'll see later right yeah taking and and sunglasses on uh on a being with an inner eyelid but i'm getting ahead of myself (laughs) Uh, but, but yeah, yeah. Point absolutely taken. Cicero, what did you make of, uh, of this conversation that ended rather abruptly? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, I think I was just, I was just saying that part of it, part of it uh, was, 
what Zachy said, and and I was thinking about it from that perspective as well. But the other perspective was that because she had hitched herself emotionally and professionally to Jean Luc, um, when he gave up his position, when he gave up his commission, and essentially ruined her, uh, he left her to all of the the vices and the demons that she was keeping at bay as a result of working with him. Hmm. And um, as a result of, of her losing, you know, like th- that's what we saw in that first scene. That's where that anger was coming from, was, was from the fact that because she was, she was out there and she knew that these demons were there and he knew that those demons were there, and he didn't, you know, he he laid himself out there and gave himself up, but didn't fight for her because, you know, and, and as a result of not fighting for her, he was acknowledging what they both knew, which was that her demons were going to come up and she was going to wind up exactly where we found her 14 years later. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of that anger, that's where a lot of that frustration and and the lashing out. Uh, was coming from it wasn't necessarily coming from uh, this point of jealousy that you're you know that you live in this and this you have this posh life and it, you know it was some of that like hey there is no poverty but you know you've got you're an old man you still got servants and a dog and a vineyard and you know and all this other crap and I'm living in the Vasquez rocks um in you know in this in this hut basically out in the sun. Because, uh, you know, I'm a powder keg mm-hmm. and I can't be around other things because I destroy everything that I'm around because I have no purpose. And you knew this and 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 yet you still allowed that to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's a that's a perceptive observation. And the thing that kind of surprised me in that interaction was just that he hasn't checked in on her very much in, the, in that time. That seems a little out of character. But um, I also understand that there's, you know, we're, we're only on episode three. We're maybe at the end of act one of, of what this season is going to do. So I'm perfectly open to seeing what other information that we get. But uh, Rachel, what did you make of, of this kind of discussion slash argument between Admiral Picard and Raffi? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I was kind of really struck by it. She was like, you didn't check in on me and mm-hmm. that. I don't know. That seemed really like that was like the first thing she said where I was like, yeah, that's a dick move. (laughs) (laughs) That's why she started vaping. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, These are obviously 24th century vapes that don't give you a mystery lung disease. Okay. We hope. (laughs) It's a whole new one. Yeah, right. Uh, But uh, yeah, like I was uh, yeah, because you know, him retiring or whatever it seems like he did the best he could right like you know um but he he should have she seems like she seemed like the kind of person even then that it would be obvious that she she would self-destruct without her job Mm -hmm. like i think they did a really good job of characterizing her even in the flashback of just like being really intense and being a person that was like needing to do this work and Mm -hmm. so like the fact that he didn't check on her 
not not cool. And but I can see also why they connected too, because it's not like her bitterness or her tendency to lash out doesn't come from a good place because she was very angry about the fact that they couldn't help evacuate people from dying because of yeah, the supernova. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, like she she held on to her principles and because she didn't have the stature and reputation of Jean-Luc Picard, she became more scathed as a result of that. And uh, Yeah, well, and I get it. Like you're always going to ask people who have more power than you, like why didn't you do more, right? It's just yeah. we can – we can see from the outside that mm-hmm. he did what he could. Yeah. Or we assume that he did what he could because we know his character. But Yeah, he's the yeah. very known element in all of this yeah. compared with everyone else that we've met so far. All right, well, let's move along. So meanwhile, aboard the Borg Cube or the Romulan Reclamation Project, whichever you'd like to call it, Project Director Hugh, a former Borg drone whom are called XBs by this point, takes Soji to see a group of former Romulan drones, and one of the reclaimed Romulans declares Soji to be the destroyer and tries to kill herself, but Soji uses her enhanced speed to stop her. Narek's sister warns him not to get too emotionally attached to Soji, and uh, she's looking a little more Romulan compared with the last time that we saw her. Um... Zachy, Hugh, uh, we we finally get our first look at the returning Hugh, played once again by Jonathan Del Arco, you know, 25 years belated reprisal. Uh, what did you make of seeing Hugh in this way, and uh, and how did this whole sequence come together for you? Well, I like the gray, uh, you know, the, the, the moral gray. We don't really know where he's at. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think, I think given sort of the whole unfolding f- plot with the, with the Romulans and the Borg, what, what is Hugh's role in it? Is he, you know, we're sort of assuming he's a good guy and, you know, I think there's room for that to not necessarily be the case. And so I'm intrigued by that. Sure. Uh, and, and Jonathan Del Arco is remarkably well-preserved considering <laughs> it's been, 20 you know five years or whatever since he last played the role it's like good for him you know i wonder if he would have thought back when he did uh whatever you know the the lore episode whatever that one was descent uh, yeah descent like oh i'm gonna be back here doing this shit you know (laughs) (laughs) 30 years later good for him yeah yeah i mean um i I, that's that's a really interesting point that he might not necessarily be on the side of the angels but now that I think about it, you know, for more than a few seconds, uh, he doesn't seem like he's nearly as innocent as he was when we saw him the last time. Yeah. So uh, even when he was um, potentially working against lore, uh, and that's to say nothing of the first time that we saw him. Uh, Rachel, what did you make of seeing Hugh again and uh, and particularly Soji being accused of being the destroyer? The destroyer. Uh, I thought this whole sequence was really cool. I was like very in- interested. Mm-hmm. I thought it was very interesting that like all of the quote unquote disordered ex-borgs yeah, are ex-bees. ex-bees, ex-borgs are Romulans. Mm-hmm. So there's like something about the Romulans that like disrupted this board cube or something. I don't know. Um, I'm really, really digging this mystery. Um, and I think Hugh looked 
looked pretty good. Um, looked like maybe maybe a little shady. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, did not like the incest vibes between brother and sister. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was a hard pass for me. Um, but. Okay, sure. Like we Look, get it. It's They're another, evil. It, it's another culture, all right. Maybe. Yeah, just... but it also like makes you not like it helps. It helps define them as like the bad guys, right? True. In the narrative, yeah. is like you're like, like uh, <laughs> getting you to feel some disgust feelings towards them. Mm-hmm. Um, it it works, but it's uh, yeah. I and, just wasn't a wasn't a fan. And what are you feeling about Hugh at this stage specifically? Um, I don't. I don't really know. Um, yeah, like I don't, I don't have a lot of like. You mean like, do I did I like seeing him or do I think he's whatever comes to mind? Motives, for, whatever comes. Um, to mind. Yeah, I I didn't really have like a ton of thoughts about him. I was just like, ah, oh, hey, it's you. Something there that, he is. Some, <laughs> yeah, something that I thought was interesting was that he kept the name. Like, I wasn't sure if that was something that he was going to hold on to, but at least in terms of, you know, defining his own identity, that's something that he did hold on to. Uh, And that gives me at least some hope that he's still kind of the guy that we knew, but, you know. I feel like working with lore will age a person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's probably the truth. Uh, Cicero, what, what what did you make of this whole sequence and with seeing Hugh again? Well, um, I, I'll start with the Hugh part. I, I kind of feel like uh, like Rachel. Um, you, you know, there there is a lot of moral in, in, in ambiguity there, um, and I think that part is intentional. Uh, and I'm not trying to hurt my brain to, <laughs> to figure out if it's, you know, if it's supposed to lean one way or the other. Um, as far as him keeping his name, I think it's, it may be exactly what you're saying, you know, what, what you're uh, kind of, what that, what that kind of pretends for the character um, based on what you were mm-hmm. saying, Chris, it may also be that they wanted uh, viewers to be able to associate with this character. And so they didn't want to name him something yeah, else. That's true. You know, like, you know, so that way, that way you could go in saying, Oh, this is the Hugh character. And, you know, and it, it literally is the same actor. So, you know, like that, you don't have to sit around and, and try and figure anything out. Um, I too was getting the very incest vibes from uh, the the two Romulan siblings, but I wonder about what if like that's just how the actors are playing it, and those are the takes that they're taking and and putting on film, and there's no there's never even like a, a, an actual narrative nod mm. to it. What if like they never there's never like that close almost kiss or there's you know some some conversation about reminiscing about when they played hide and go get it together or something you know none of something something you know none of the weird stuff that we think is happening what if that never shows up and it's just that the actors are just like hey you know what if we played this like and uh you know and that would 
beef up the heat on uh, on on those characters being villains. Um, as far as everyone on that reclamation ship, I don't trust anything. I don't trust mm-hmm. any of them. I don't trust anything that anybody is doing up and up to and including Soji. I just don't trust anybody on mm-hmm. the ship. Yeah, and I, I think that that's an understandable perspective, particularly where Romulans are concerned. Um, I actually just today rewatched a, a great season at seven episode of DS9 called Inter Arma Einem Sealant Legis. Uh, Cicero, you'll have to tell me what you think of it when you get to it. But um, the Romulans right. are a very prominent part of it, and uh, it kind of reinforces the uh, the duplicity of uh of of their culture in general particularly when it comes to members of the tal shiar uh and yeah it's probably a good idea not to generally trust the romulans um and you know that that's another thing that comes to mind that i wouldn't mind getting you guys' perspective on um i guess over the last 10 years my perception of the effect of the supernova has been that, well, first of all, we didn't know back then, of course, that the Federation didn't take a leadership role in evacuating Romulan refugees. So I guess I was just hoping that maybe with the evaporation of all of the sort of dictatorial institutions of the Romulan state, that the people would try and find kind of another segment of identity that isn't so much rooted in the secrecy and the duplicity. And that didn't happen. That very clearly did not happen. Um, hmm. I, I don't know. What, what do you think, Zachy? Is, is, should, should I not have expected the Romulans to move beyond that? Or, uh, or I don't know. I'd just be interested in your take. I mean, it's, you know, it, again, I think, I think what it is really is that we're just not used to, this kind of pacing in, in a Star Trek milieu that we're somewhat familiar with. So I think for me, so much of my answers is just like, let's wait and see. I don't know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right. It's, it's like, you know, I mean, they're, they're keeping so many things close to the chest with this series that uh, it's almost just like we're, we're there. Each episode is parceling out, you know, microfibers at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's, that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's so nebulous, all of it. Yeah. We don't even really have a clear idea of how many Romulans survived uh, yeah, what right. happened. And I haven't seen any Remans either. Uh, so that's still a question that's at least in my brain. Uh, I don't know. Rachel, what do you think of the Romulan posture right now? Well, I think you can't really destroy culture of of a people i think you see that on earth right like look at russia like they every government they have always like folds back into autocracy right Mm -hmm. like they have like a straight super powerful monarchy then a revolution then the revolution the communist government like becomes essentially an autocracy Mm -hmm. and then they that collapses and then it becomes a quote unquote democracy that again collapses into autocracy. Right. Mm -hmm. So there are cultural tendencies towards accepting certain forms of living cultures of living that will happen again and again, even when circumstances change dramatically. So you watched part of inter arma with me before you fell asleep because you were tired, but, um, 
if you had sleeping to, for two, well, yeah, of course. No, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not calling you out. Right? Just, you know, it sure no, sounded no, like the, that. The basis, the basis of my question was going to be: at the height of the power of the Romulan Empire, what do you think is the closest analog in our world today for the Romulans? God, I don't know. I don't know enough about like world governments. I, I can only. I only got that one example of Russia. Beyond that, like for me, okay. What do you guys think of this? Then, to me, I think it's China. At least you know pre pre supernova, because it seems like you know there's there's very secretive element to the society, and it kind of thrives on uh, glorifying the state at the expense of sharing information with people. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, there, I think, I think there is definitely an element of that, that is, that is true. Um, but I, I, but I'd also, if you said that, uh, it, it mimics a portion of the United States government, I would say that's true as well. Um, you know, I mean, there are, um, uh, you know, l- not to put a tinfoil on my head, um, <laughs> but you know, but there, there are, there are lots of, uh, duplicitous and, and clandestine, uh, societies and, and power structures within this government that we, that we know to exist. Um, even if we don't know, well, what hey, they Cicero, are. we are getting a section 31 show. So, you know, right. you keep, right. keep your, keep that in your pocket. When we when we yeah, inevitably yeah. discuss what's going on with the Section Thirty One show, but I don't know. I mean, these are just always questions that bubble up in my brain about you know what exactly the right analogs are, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just poli sci kid being a poli sci kid. Anyway, well, you know, I I, I was going to say, man, I'm I'm kind of shocked that you you'd had something to say about that in the first place because you know look at look at uh, the American government. In in the forties, we we fought fascism, mm-hmm. uh, and you know we, we you know we fought it, beat it all the way down with our world, you know, with our friends around the world, and immediately after that, we created our own version of fascism with our own Red Scare, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and we allowed the same type of thing that we were fighting to infest our own sure. shores. Um, you know, much to a to a diminished level, but 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 it exists nonetheless. And you know, and we're we're looking at a version of that in our own government right now. Um, so it, you know, I think there is, like Rachel said, I think there is something to uh, the cultural touchstones of of a people, of a populace, of a region um, that are pervasive, irrespective of how the, the winds, the winds blow, um, where Russia needs an autocracy. I think the American government needs a book. Well, but, you know, the, but, American but, I mean, speaking of modern parallels though, too, I mean, one of the things that helped to put an end and put an end to the red scare and to disgrace, uh, the man who is named for McCarthyism was, uh, reliance on the fourth estate. And the fact that there was more information that was uh, becoming more readily available and how damaging it ultimately was. I mean, you mentioned HUAC today and it's, it's, not, it's not looked upon even in you know, the brightest parts of American politics as a bright spot in our history. 
So at the very least, you know, that stuff is looked down upon, but that is of course not to deny that there are these other things that are taking place and that make us doubt our institutions. And I think that that's really one of the primary themes of this show is that, you know, when your institutions, maybe, maybe it's not even outright failure, but when they don't manage to meet your expectations, what do you do and where do you go? And that's one of the things that I'm finding very interesting about this show in general, because that's not a question that we've really asked of the Federation Starfleet for most of the Trek canon's existence outside of some key examples in Deep Space Nine. Uh, I mean, Zachy, you often talk about the, uh, the kind of parable of maintaining paradise or being a saint in paradise. And, uh, and it was Deep Space Nine that introduced that stuff into, into the conversation. So I like that that's where Picard is going. Uh, it's, it's very interesting times. Very interesting times. But let's, um, let's move along with the plot. So Picard gets in touch with Captain Rios, goes aboard Rios' ship to meet uh, the pilot whom Raffi recommended. And he finds a gruff former Starfleet executive officer who expresses disdain for that institution while Picard makes perceptive observations that he has his ship impeccably maintained like a Starfleet officer. And we also meet some of Rios's holographic help that's likened after him, including an EMH and an emergency navigational hologram or ENH. And uh, after Picard leaves a conversation between the ENH and Rios, betrays that Rios may have been a little starstruck by Picard and that his gruff demeanor might conceal a dedication and reverence that is very much in line with what we've seen from other honorable Starfleet officers. Uh, Zachy, I'm really curious about your perspective of Rios because he's not unlike some (laughs) other characters that we've seen in the franchise, but he seems like he's a little bit rougher around the edges. Uh, but he also seems talented. What's your take? Well, I I I think the fact that to me what struck me is that the EMH looks like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that to me gives an a, a window into his personality. The fact that like that's not a normal thing one would assume yeah. you do. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so you know, I th- I think in essence. Uh, the EMH is his conscience, right? It's the voice of his own. It's his. It's his, it's his inner voice. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a weird way, it gave me. Uh, even though he's got that accent, it felt like a very spot. Uh, sorry, Kirk McCoy dynamic. Sure, yeah, that's interesting. The captain and his doctor, you know, because that's the function that McCoy served for Kirk. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but beyond that, again, like so much, it's like well. Let's see what happens. <laughs> well, see, I, I've never really seen um, – Let me, I'm, and I don't know why it's escaping me again at the moment. Uh, Santiago Cabrera. Uh, my, my perception before this show kicked into production was that he was a very highly sought-after talent for television. And when presented with this, this was what he decided to go with. Have, have any of you guys ever seen him in anything else before? No. No, not that I can – So. Nah. Let's see. Memory Alpha already has a pretty dedicated uh, page to him. He's done a lot of British TV. I guess he's uh, so he's Venezuelan-born, Chilean-British. That's his background. 
Uh, he's worked with uh, Greg Grunberg and Zachary Quinto on Heroes. Oh, uh, yeah, he was on Heroes. Yeah, he was Isaac on mm-hmm. Heroes. He had a okay. role in a movie called Haven with Zoe Saldana. And, of course, Memory Alpha generally tries to keep him sort of within the Trek realm. His Wikipedia page, you, they, those pages usually lead off with uh, – what they're best known for. And it looks like, yeah, he's best known for heroes. He played Lancelot in the BBC drama Merlin and Aramis in the BBC series, the Musketeers. And he was also the lead in a TV show called salvation. So yeah, I've never seen any of this stuff before. (laughs) Um, Okay. Uh, Merlin, Merlin's pretty good. Um, Merlin is like, what if Smallville was about King Arthur? Um, yeah, uh and uh yeah, it's it's not mm-hmm. it's not bad. Uh and and then, you know, Heroes Heroes was like Heroes was two great seasons of television wrapped into four or five sure. seasons of a series. Yeah. Um so uh and and uh he was yeah. he was part of that. I think he was the he was the artist dude. He was the dude who like drew the stuff in his uh he had like a Soho loft and he was drawing the comic books that everybody was chasing the things that happened in and he was like a wow. drug addict or something like that. So he didn't have he sure. didn't have a lot to do. Well, then. you know, the thing that, and actually on on further review, and Zachy, you I think you'll remember this too. Mr. Cabrera was actually cast as a DC superhero in 2007 when George Miller was developing Justice League Mortal, uh, which is a rather famous aborted uh, project that never saw the light of day. But he was actually cast as Aquaman. And uh, I do remember his name wow. coming up for that, but of course I never saw him. Uh, so this this is really the first like wow. sustained exposure that I've had to him, and I like him. He's definitely mm-hmm. charismatic. Yeah, yeah. You can see why he's yeah, in demand. Yeah, absolutely. Most definitely. Uh, Rachel, what did you think of Captain Rios upon meeting him and the the holograms he surrounds himself with? <laughs> Single hologram that is himself. Yeah. Why would you do that? Like, that would... I don't know. See, okay. I don't like watching, like, videos of myself. Like, a hologram would be, like... That would be the worst thing, Well. Right? You don't you don't love yourself enough. Well, no, Rachel. you see, that's what it is. What I'm wondering is <laughs> that maybe maybe by this point that is normal. Uh, probably not, yeah. but I mean, we saw, of course, Lewis Zimmerman designed the EMH after himself physically, but maybe you know EMHs are so prominent. But Zimmerman was oh, a yeah, douche. Well, like sure, was yeah, no, no argument right. here. Right. Um, but I just wonder, <laughs> like, if when you get it, it comes in your form and you can customize it, or if you can customize it if he just chose mm-hmm. it to be him. Well, is it an EMH or did they say NH? There were two. So there was an EMH oh. that was a doctor, and then the ENH that Which he was, was also him. Yes, both of them were him. All right. They both had different voices. The EMH had kind of like a meek. Uh, right countenance okay. about yeah, him, okay. and then the ENH was very, uh, you know, we just talked to Jean Luc Picard. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he's definitely like magnetic, right? Like he's doing all these like little character, like his his characters are all very separate mm-hmm. and um, just 
really interesting. And uh, although I apparently did not realize that the two holograms were different. <laughs> um, so it's a hell of a way to get introduced to him with like a piece of uh, Tritanium sticking out of his shoulder, you know? And it's like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I got, I, w- I was uh, pretty happy with it. Uh, Cicero, Captain uh, Cristobal, what did you make of him? Oh, I loved him. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it's. I thought he was he was really great. Um, it. This is something that'll probably come up later, but I, like immediately, w- the sense that I got was that we're watching. Uh, Star Trek's version of yeah, Firefly, kinda. right? Now. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, uh, and and you know that's. I think by the time we get to the end of this episode, that's what you've got. You've got what they call on the set their motley crew of uh, crew, uh, you know, crew on on the ship. But but you you've got the Firefly guys. Um, but when it comes to uh, Santiago and his multiple personalities i was trying to think of there there was i think it was a show on sci-fi where there was a woman who played she she had she played different characters but they were all the like supposed to be the same person but they were different people um oh crap i can't think of the name of this show and i was trying to look it up but i can't remember it uh um, maybe it wasn't even on sci-fi. I'm sure there's somebody that's listening to this that's <laughs> screaming into their speaker right now. Um, but whatever that show was, it was very good. And the the actor who did that was incredibly good at it um, because she was immediately able, through her performance, um, able to differentiate between one character and another. And it was easy for you as the viewer to know when she was playing one character versus another character. Um, and at two in the morning, I'll remember the name of it and scream <laughs> it into the chat. No problem. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, but uh, that's what it reminds me of. Hopefully he's as talented an actor as this unnamed actor is, was uh, so that he can pull consistently pull off um, both uh, Captain Rios and the EMH and the ENH without anyone having to be told explicitly who it is that is talking. Yeah, um, at yeah that particular most definitely. Point. Well, let's move along. So um, Picard, Laris, and Jebon are attacked at Chateau Picard by Jacques Vache operatives. And uh, Laris and Jebon and Picard, I mean, Picard helps, but I think Laris and Jebon do most of the legwork, uh, kill all but one of them. And uh, that last one is uh, interrogated by everybody. Who, and he also calls Soji the destroyer while under interrogation before he also dissolves in a pool of acid in a little bit of a gruesome way. Uh, also, right before this, Dr. Girati was approached by Commodore O, who we know to secretly be Romulan posing as a Vulcan flag officer. Uh, at the Daystrom Institute in Okinawa, and Dr. Girati tells the Commodore everything she says about why Captain Admiral Picard visited her at the Institute back in the first episode. So uh, something that um, that I thought was kind of cool about this. 
continuity time. So Laris remarked that one of the Romulan assassins who's ridged on his forehead like Jaban is a stubborn northerner. And uh, so that seemingly validates a theory that's kind of been in the ether of the Trek community for a long time. They tried to explain why the next generations in DS9's Romulans had ridges on their heads while those seen in the original series and even in like TOS movies uh, and the 2009 movie did not have those. Uh, I just thought that that was kind of cool. The fact that it's now going out of its way to sort of acknowledge one of these aesthetic changes in way more of a simplistic but still effective way compared with the way that, you know, Enterprise tried to explain the riches and the lack thereof of on Klingon foreheads between different shows. I just thought that was cool uh, and just wanted to share that. But we definitely got to see Laris and Jaban uh, stretch their legs. And um, Rachel, so before reading the series, you saw this. What, what kind of context do you get now after absorbing some of their backstory? Well, it, it, I don't want to say spoilers, Chris. What, of the comic book series? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it really counts because I don't know how many people are playing on... Spoiling (sighs) Cloud. Well, anyway, yeah, like it, they, um, you, let's just say you get why they're, they're really good at shooting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, even without that, uh, how... Because I I watched the episode before I read the comics, so I was uh, it it was cool to see them in action, mm-hmm. um, uh, especially because you can't really have John Luke Picard doing a lot of this stuff because he's supposed to be like ninety. Yeah. Like every time he kept getting in danger, or getting hit, I was like, no. Like, yeah. This is too old. This is twenty three ninety nine. So in universe, he's supposed to be like ninety four. Yeah. So. Yeah, so he is a he he is a, a man who is advanced in age. Right. So uh this was a cool action scene. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. Yeah, I the yeah, I enjoyed it. Great. Zachy, what did you make of this, especially considering that apparently there's a lot of phasers hidden around the chateau? <laughs> uh oh. Did we lose him? Uh uh, no, I think oh. Zachy's just muted. Oh, maybe something's going on. That's okay. I could edit around it. Well, yeah. Cicero. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Just, Cicero, what did you make of this, me. especially considering that there's a bunch of phasers hidden around the chateau? Well, uh, first off, um, shout out to the effects departments uh, since, since Discovery. I love the sound effect for mm-hmm. phasers now it's it just it sounds so good it is it is so uh, aesthetically uh pleasing or uh, or uh what is that aesthetic no auditorially auditorially pleasing audibly um, there you go audibly. yeah yeah yes audibly yes audibly pleasing <laughs> uh there we go wordsmiths <laughs> we did it um Oh, also, by the way, guys, the movie, uh, the show that I was oh, talking about was Off in Black. Okay. Um, yeah. uh, Tatiana Maslany. Um, 
She was amazing in that show. If you haven't watched that show, go ahead and watch the show. Really, really good. Um, uh, she deserved a lot of awards for her performance. Um, but uh, let's get back to uh, the story at hand. And that is, I assumed that the Romulan, you know, the, his Romulan um, valets were mm-hmm. part of the Jatvash. Um, and as a result, uh, they helped make sure that there were there were plenty of weapons <laughs> hidden yeah. around hidden around the house in, in case in case something happens. Um, so, uh, like, I wasn't completely surprised by it, and and uh, you know, again, because I, I wasn't completely surprised by it because of the because of the the amount of knowledge that they had about. Uh, the Jat Vash, you know, like this this secret society mm-hmm. within the secret society, uh, and in Romulan culture, I was like, oh well, these guys must be some bamps if, if they know about that. So uh, when you know, so when so when some bamf stuff needs to happen in this house, I suspect that they would be there and they'd be all about it. Uh, I was surprised at how. Spry Jean Luc, ninety four year old Jean Luc Picard, uh, was like, and I guess for context for for us, for you know, for like twenty first century humans, that's ninety four is yeah, like probably. I mean, Leonard McCoy was about one hundred and fifty when we saw him in Encounter at Farpoint, right. So yeah, so I mean, so so ninety four is really like sixty sixty something. Um, you know, uh, comparatively speaking, you know, maybe 65, uh, for 21st century, but yeah, but he, you know, he was able to hold his own against Romulan, you know, presumed Mm -hmm. Romulan assassins. Uh, you know, these are some of the best of the best (laughs) of the best with honor, sir. Uh, so, um, but, uh, yeah, so like all of that was cool. And then, then we get to see Alison Pill come out and, uh, you know, Notch her first mark on yeah. on the on the headboard, uh, you know. So that was uh, that was that was pretty awesome. Uh, and she 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 took that in stride mm-hmm. while not taking it in stride, which which was which was weird. But I guess that was the right thing to do. And it, it made me rem- it reminded me of uh, crossing genres of uh, the first reboot mm. Tomb Raider game. Where um, the very first time in that game, there is a lot of reverence and weight put on the the fact that I Lara see. Croft killed someone, and and then after that, she <laughs> murders the entire <laughs> island. Like that first death is like, whoa, what did I do? I really once you get over that in first, my life. Kind of like uh, you know, Casino Royale starts out with Bond's first kill, or at least we're led to believe it's his first kill. Yeah, and uh, the second one, you know, is considerably easier. So yeah, yeah, but but yeah. but I, I don't think that Doctor Gerardi is going to turn into a Lara Croft or James Bond if I were to guess. <laughs> just oh, who, who knows man that's true. we've got a lot of season left Zachy what did you make of this just as an action sequence and uh, and, and seeing uh, his Romulan companions in action alongside him 
I I I liked that. I I liked seeing them, you know, uh do what, you know, obviously they've been trained to do and and I do, you know, I do wonder if um they've they're on a a clock, you know, like I wonder if they're being set up to be killed off. Uh so I, you know, as the scene was playing out, I was like, "Oh man, I hope mm-hmm. I hope they don't get killed," you know. Um and I also I also feel like Al, uh, Allison Pill is gonna have a heel uh, turn yeah. that's my prediction yeah, yeah I, was, I was kind of yeah, chris predicted that uh, while we were watching i was it. in a similar boat i mean I, I i don't really like the idea of uh of the commodore going to see her right before and then immediately going back to him hard cut no that's, no conversation it, it does seem yeah. a little a little suspicious <laughs> exactly but uh yeah excellent well let's um let's move along so Dr. Girardi, of course, she goes to Chateau Picard and decides to join the Admiral on his journey. Picard and Girardi board Rios' ship, the La Serena, and find Raffi already there. And she directs them to Free Cloud, where she believes Bruce Maddox to be. Uh, In a closing that feels very much like the episode title, The End is the Beginning, a familiar tune begins to swell and the former captain points forward and says engage rachel you seemed rather overtaken by the way that this episode ended why don't you tell us about it oh it was just very emotional i cried take that with a grain of salt i am pregnant i cried (laughs) four to five times a day (laughs) um for all kinds of reasons but this was one of them and it was just uh, i was it was real nice to to see him do his little hand motion and get the music up mm-hmm. right in the feels. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it honestly caught me a little bit off guard because it was so like, clearly they wanted to to let you know, look, this is the journey. And interestingly enough, uh, I think the premiere actually played the first three episodes all together. So this was the ending that people saw uh, at the premiere. And it kind of you, you think about it. The the first three episodes do kind of make up a pilot, a, a three hour pilot in a way. And uh, it was it was definitely an interesting way to to end things. Zachy, what did you make of the way that this ending happened? And what did how does the the way that it wanted you to feel compare with the way that you actually felt? You know, it uh, I I. I felt exactly ah. the way they wanted me to feel. So I'm, you know, the Venn diagram <laughs> is just a circle. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, I don't know. It just, uh, it just still, it, it surprises me that they, that they totally went there. Did it surprise you at all that they actually invoked that familiar music before they sent us off? I, it's smart, man. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's the, the there's certain emotional touchstones that Star Trek is is going to be able to deliver, right? And and uh, that this particular music we haven't heard it since 2002, yeah. mm-hmm. right? So you know, it's it's smart, right? Because because we we've gotten plenty of familiar Trek uh, motifs musically, but they've kept this one in reserve for the right time and the right property, which was this show. So it's, you know, I mean, they're, they're fully leaning into the nostalgia yeah, and I am. Yeah. All about it's leaning that. into nostalgia while still feeling like it's telling a new story. 
which uh, which is a tricky balance. Yes. I think absolutely. Cicero, what about you, man? Did uh, did what it intended to make you feel correspond with what it actually got out of you? So, um, yeah. So, you know, we've previously talked about the fact that I've been sick. Um, so it gave me a lot of time to watch things. A, a lot of those things that I watched were Trek. Um, so all of those things, or at least some of those things were all of the Picard's and all of the post Picard shows that are hosted by Will Wheaton, um, which are basically like uh, um, extras from the DVD and short interviews with uh, with whomever he's got in the studio with him. Uh, Will Wheaton, a, a fantastic interviewer, um, would love love to get him on Discovery Debrief. So, uh, Will, if you're listening, I know you are. Come on, come on, a debrief. Um, but, um, mm-hmm. so he had Akiva Goldsman on and in, in one of, in one of the, one of the episodes and what Akiva said was that the first three episodes were essentially look at them as the, 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 the beginning of the beginning, Right. So, uh, so what we got in the third episode, the third episode being called the end of the beginning was quite literally that. And, and, you know, we wound up kind of where I expected us to wind up where I, you know, when, where we, when we were, Mm -hmm. where we were last week, uh, at the end of last episode, I said, that, uh, you know, by this time next week, I want, I want Picard in a ship. I want us going someplace. If we're not there, then that's when I'll start to to have some issues. And that's exactly, you know, that's exactly where we wound up. We wound up right where we needed to be with the captain saying the thing that we wanted him to say, um, you know, the thing that we had been hoping that we'd hear um, the second we heard that the show was announced or at least dreamt about, Um and while it was happening, as the music was starting to crescendo, you could see the rest of the crew kind of looking and waiting for him to say the thing. It was almost like uh, baseball players mm-hmm. waiting for the umpire to say play ball. You know, like, you know, you're going to say it, you're going to say it, you're going to, you know, and 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 we got it. And and now we're, now we know we're ready to play ball. Now... You know the the Star Trek version <laughs> of Firefly can can begin, and and you know it's time to buckle your seatbelts and uh, get you know ride this bucking Bronco. Buckle it, your seatbelt, uh, Dorothy, you. because Kansas is going bye bye. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I can uh, invoke the Matrix a little bit. All right, well that that's the end of the episode. Uh, final thoughts as we get ready to dismiss and uh, and as we look forward to the next one, uh, Cicero. Um, you know, my final thoughts is uh, I'm really enjoying this. It is a it's a much slower burn uh, than than the other trek that we know right now, which is uh, which is Discovery, but it is. It is really good, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what we do. Rachel? Um, I like this episode the most of all of them. Okay. So I'm I'm on board. I'm excited to 
see more. Yeah, and you weren't there when prior to the show beginning, but this episode gets you there all the way. It's getting me closer. Okay. Yeah. All right. Very good. Zachy, final thoughts on episode three. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, next time is when we see uh, number one. Yeah, and, it seems uh, like uh, this time, this might indicate that they're not living on Earth, if I were to guess. So, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, that was my thought. Absolutely. Too. Yeah. Same here. <laughs> they've got their uh, they've got their farm for <laughs> the polygamous farm. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? Not Riker. <laughs> hey, come on, man! He's you know try the Betazoid. Well, uh, just final thoughts for me. I actually um, I don't like this one quite as much as I like the first one, but I do like it more than the second one. Uh, but it looks like we're about to hit a new segment of the narrative, so that I find very exciting. And I hope, as usual, that you all come along with us next time as we prepare to talk about a new episode. But that is going to do it for episode number 49 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. It only takes a minute, and we'll be happy to read your review eventually on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, or you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles and feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed next time as we discuss a new episode of Star Trek Picard. But as always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. My friends.